Welcome again to the Afero podcast series. This is Shaheen Khan. And once again, I have with me Ben Gibbs, who is director of Afero Customer Enablement, which is an apt acronym for ACE because he and his team are just ACEs. <laughs> ben, how are you today? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. All right. So last time we met, we had an episode called The Killer Apps of IoT. Yes. And that first episode was about appliances and it was extending the beep. I highly recommend you all go listen to it. It's been a very popular episode. Uh, We wanted to follow it with Killer Apps of IoT Part 2. Part 2. Son of. The son of. (laughs) (laughs) So we have now extended the beep. And what is next? Well, it's money. Everyone loves a good way to make money. And so the real question is, how does IoT play with payments and how can you make money out of IoT and in that regard? Excellent. So now when you look at really the history of payments, even without IoT, payments have going from analog to digital. There has been a point of sale software. Uh, it's more mobile. It's more automated. All of that is happening. What does it do when you now add to the mix the presence of a thing? Right. And that's a very good question because in the old days, you would bring out a plastic credit card. And I even remember when they put it in a machine with a piece of paper and, you know, they'd yeah. go ching-ching, you know, and then they'd write in the values. But now it's all software, isn't it? You're essentially in interacting with a computer, but these are very expensive computers and they have to be very, very secure. We've heard about hacks on those type of devices. But as you move towards a situation where you're not in a store, let's say that you are trying to pay for something in a non-store environment, say parking, or you're trying to buy something from a vending machine, or or you're trying to get some kind of good or service out of a thing, like you said, a machine, then it becomes a little bit more difficult because you still got to meet all the requirements of payments, but there's some challenges around how do you interact with it in the first place. Today, almost everyone has a smartphone, which is a great thing. It's a superior piece of technology. And so let's say that that's going to be your user interface. That defines who you are, and that's how you really want to pay for stuff. How do you do that? Well, I go to Japan quite a lot, and I interact with machines over there. And one of the great experiences, getting off the plane, you go down into the basement of Narita Airport to get on the train, and you're gasping for a drink. You're jet lag, you've got no water inside you because you've been on a plane for 10 hours, you know, so you're thirsty like anything. Well, it used to be that, oh no, I haven't got any Japanese money, or maybe I have and I forgot, or it's just this 10,000 yen, which is like a 100 buck note. But now you can pay for anything with your phone or with a card, just wave it in front and, and pay. But that machine is connected to the internet to enable that payment process. Constantly connected. It's constantly connected. And that little payment terminal that's attached to it certainly is quite an expensive piece of equipment. And that's what they use. And the ease of use is fantastic. That user experience has to be there. So that's part of it. And the other thing is you really want it to be fast. You don't want to wait around, right? Right. If you're paying for something with a person, you know, they can take a bit of time, but everyone really wants to have the instant gratification. So it truly needs to be less than a second, if not like milliseconds, because you sense it. Right. And and that goes back to the old feeling of cash, right? Cash, you, you're paid. It's not like 
you pass over the cash and someone sits there for like a minute going, hmm, I'm wondering if I'm going to... Let me go to the back office and get <laughs> approval from my manager. <laughs> yeah, no, you paid. So we want the electronic equivalent of that. Yeah, I mean, so there's that situation. And then, of course, if you are paying electronically, the person who you're paying wants to know that it's actually being paid. Mm -hmm. uh, so they need a verification. They need a payment as well. They need a notification that the payment has gone through. That service was delivered. Payment has been received. Exactly. So in the case of a, let's say that you're paying for something to happen. Right. And we'll talk about a use case that we have uh, worked on recently with Mitsubishi Bank over in Japan. Uh -huh. Let's say that you are purchasing or paying for a washing machine in a laundrette. You pay using your electronic method. Inevitably, there are going to be some people who, even though they got the wash, will have a go at complaining that something didn't happen. There will be people who will try it on. So you have right? to guard against that. You have to guard against that. Yeah. And in the credit card business, chargebacks are a massive problem. And so having a concrete way to fully understand if the goods, especially if the goods were delivered by machine, were actually delivered mm. would be super important. Because right now, literally what happens is the credit card staff have to give phone calls to people to try and find out and make a value judgment as to whether they really did get the goods or not. It's oh, wow. very touchy-feely. Wow, okay. Yes, very, very expensive. Not a very scalable process. And so as a result, you, you end up with very onerous rules that apply to the merchant in that if there are chargebacks, basically the merchant has no choice but just to accept. In the day and age where you have electronic interconnectivity of these kind of payments, we can do better than that. We right. should really be able to tell. Another idea, another concept is when you're buying something and you're paying for it, have you ever seen on your credit card statement, you get an indication that you paid for something, you have the date, you have how much it was, and then you have this kind of rather cryptic set of text. Right. It could be something very obvious. It could say Safeway. Then you know it's Safeway. Sometimes it has a little bit more weirdness to it. Correct. But... It's like it, somebody else who got paid. Yes. It doesn't really describe... There yes. isn't a whole list of what did you buy or anything like this. And that is what mm. we call metadata, right? So right. that is a, a set of data that's associated with this payment that could be very, very useful, not only to you as a consumer. Oh, absolutely. This, yeah. Whatever it was. I mean, or, right now you know that you paid the grocery store, but you don't know what you bought. It just is an aggregate sum at the end. Right. Now, sometimes it's also valuable for the merchant as well. They want to know what the payment was for. And so having this additional data associated with the system would be very useful. Let's not forget that we were talking about paying a machine or interacting with a machine. And so quite often, the reason why the machine is you're interacting with them is let's say that you're buying some inventory from it. So it's a vending machine. Let's say right. that you're getting something out of it. Whoever's running that machine will want to know the status of that machine as well. All part and parcel of the payment is how much inventory has it got left in it. Is it full? Is it empty? Or it may be some other aspect of the delivery that is important to know, such as the whole machine is operating correctly. There are no error codes and things like that. All of that data can be bundled up in and, and also be part of the overall transmissions. So we've talked about, can I make contact with the machine, with the thing I'm trying to pay? Is it fast? 
how long do I need to wait before it's all done? Can it verify that service was delivered to the person who's doing that? And can it verify to me that the payment was processed? Is there enough data coming out of the system in a way that is meaningful and useful for me to have the details that I need? So those are four very important, really, requirements in how you might architect a solution like this. Uh, what else? So clearly, if you're building a payment system, you're hoping that it's going to be used and used by a lot of people. In that regard, scalability is super important and reliability of the system. You've got to have the resiliency to be able to handle thousands, millions of transactions a day reliably. You yeah, cannot, so you can't just say, oh, I'm sorry, it didn't really work. Now, we have seen that on payment systems. You've seen it where you, you go to the restaurant, they scan the credit card and they're like, hmm, didn't go through. And you right. try it again. That happens. But... It can't happen that often, otherwise people you know, are going to get upset. It's a whole different thing when there's a person involved than if you're by yourself in front of a vending machine. If that thing does it twice, you're not going to use it again. Yes, you just can't trust it. Yeah. At that point, you'll fall back to some other thing, you know, or, or maybe the, the purchase is lost at that point, and it's going to cost you money. You must have a system that can scale. You must have reliability and resiliency. And then, of course, the other very, very key thing, which is sort of intertwined with payments, is security. Got to have that everywhere. Having said that, there is a cost to security that I think with IoT, there's a, an opportunity here to be more cost efficient. So right now, when you have a payment terminal such as they have in restaurants, insert the credit card, you type in the number, then it goes and processes it. Those payment terminals are very, very highly secure and built to highly secure specifications and have to pass certification by the payment card industry. As a result of that, they are really quite expensive. Uh, so this is something that would be great. And like I mentioned right at the very beginning about vending machine in Japan, it has effectively one of those in it. As a result, $200, $300 device that is taking those payments and in the end it will pay itself but still it's a little bit pricey and it really has its own connectivity plan correct yes because it uh, needs it, to connect it, constantly you were saying that's true um, a lot of these are connected over lte and although we are seeing some uh, improvements in terms of the iot capable lte such as LTEM, uh, cat m1 and things like this it's still a significant cost there are opportunities to reduce that price and to reduce that cost to the point where doing transactions one would call micro transactions right. uh, become economically feasible with the appropriate iot technology excellent so there is an opportunity to actually do better than without IoT. That's absolutely which is new. Yes. Now, yes. Th there's a cost to security, but there's a cost to not having security. And of course, like you said, it's non-negotiable in this case. A lot of these security uh, rules have been put in place by the card industry. But I think it's very clear nowadays that we're actually moving to a post-credit card era, mm. right? Mm -hmm. I think I read some stat recently that the number of credit card owners or, or users in China is actually dropping quite substantially. That's because they're moving more towards these mobile electronic mobile payments, QR code payment type things. It used to be, I don't carry cash anymore. I only have cards. I can't remember the last time I even saw a $20 bill. People would say that. It's like giving up TV. It's like, oh, I don't know what a TV program is. You right, know? right. I don't even pull the credit cards out of my wallet anymore. I only pay using my phone, right? 
But really, the motivation for that is because you're now talking, as you said, about microtransactions that are in the millions and billions, and they need to be fast, and therefore they need to have really low overhead. That's right. So they need That's a right. different system. Now, yes. something that has come up in, along those lines is the use of cryptocurrencies for these things. So I imagine that's part of the discussion as well. Oh, most definitely. There are the famous cryptocurrencies that we all know about, Bitcoin, Ethereum. There are also banking-based cryptocurrencies, such right. as MUFG coin. Mitsubishi Bank, uh, it's a really a super bank. It's so huge. Uh, and they are the number one biggest bank in Japan. And they have announced MUFG coin, as they call it. And it is a one yen to one coin equivalent pegged uh, cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. Yes. It is something that they plan to roll out. Uh, I believe it's going to come out this year. Uh, the aim there is really to enable payments to occur without necessarily having to have a high overhead in terms of cost of transaction. You are then able to move more into the micropayment world with those type of things. And of course, that particular type of blockchain-based coin is a private blockchain. It's not public blockchain. The things like building those blocks happen very much faster than, say, like Bitcoin. It can handle hundreds of thousands of transactions a second. But and, I can see if it's a permission-based system in a kind of a walled garden, you can process it way faster and just as securely. And then you can translate it back to your fiat currency in aggregate, lower your overheads that way. Absolutely. And even maybe you never do. And maybe you never <laughs> do. That's right. Yes. There are, there's certainly a lot of things changing in the finance world around those type of things. And like I mentioned, there's large non-bank entities who, I mean, just think about like your Starbucks card. Just think how much money they have in those that sometimes are never spent or iTunes cards. They, all of these payment systems are out there. Uh, and you're, not, you're right, they're not banks. You know, we talked about the cryptocurrency or the back-end sort of payment system, but there's other parts to the architecture as well. That you I was just going to ask, so how do you architect things? So now you have the device, you have the payment system. How do you glue it all together so that it is a robust, integrated, battle-hardened, ready-to-go, reliable, trustable system? Well, we have put together such a thing. It's really made up of, I'd say, four different main blocks. Uh -huh. You have the device, obviously, and that is what by saying the device, what I mean is you have the the entity that's being paid. In this case, the thing. So, the very strong emphasis on the T of IoT, the thing we are now paying. That's the device, and it could be a switch that enables a thing to occur, open a door, give you a drink, activate a process, enable you to sit at a desk, lots of different things, turn on an air conditioner. It could do lots of different things that you're paying for. Uh, so you've got that device, and obviously it needs to connect securely to something so that it can actually be controlled. So there's two parts to this. One is knowing that it has been paid, so therefore it is going to do what it's going to do, and also activating it, making sure that it does what it's doing, and also finding out that it has done what it was supposed to do. So all of those are very important. So you have a corresponding platform in the cloud that does that. And then you, after that, you then have a payment processor. You then also typically have a payment cloud that handles all the payments. The name of the game in terms of these kind of payments is you don't want to lock yourself into one way of being paid. Ideally, you want right. to be able to accept any type of payment. 
If you're a merchant, if, that is how you maximize your business. Right. Now, you can't... Today, you have to, often you have to pay fees to be able to accept various types of payments. But as we move more to these electronic-style payments, people physically can only carry so many credit cards. I have, <laughs> I right. don't know, three or four or something at the most, right? Right, right. I think my wife has about 20. But anyway, <laughs> but, uh, but the thing is, you know, you can only carry so many. Whereas on a, you can imagine on a mobile device, you could have thousands. As many as, you know, right, yeah. It doesn't really matter. And, and maybe there'll be a lot of innovation on the app side exactly. as to, you know, which one shall I pay right, right now? Which system shall I use? I've, I've got 27 cents in this particular system and I've got a dollar over here. You could even imagine when you come to pay a bill or pay a, a device, why does it have to only go from one system? Well, we are talking about the transformative power of these technologies and optimization on the client side and on the merchant side and on the banking side is a big result of all the data that we were accumulating in the process or we were eligible to accumulate. So harnessing all that data to actually transform and optimize is a really big part of this or a big potential for it anyway. And giving the consumer the choice as well is very important. And so I think that on the back end, and you know, we were talking about the architecture, there's going to be a more of a kind of like clearinghouse type block that will decide which payment systems need to pay what. Uh, from a merchant standpoint, you don't really care where the payment comes from. So you could imagine a back-end system that would collect payments, some of the payment from, say, like Alipay, some of it from WeChat, some of it from MUFG coin, and maybe at the very last chunk will come from Visa, who knows? And so there's kind of like a payment cloud that does that, and then various payment processes that handle the various processing for those. This is really where I see IoT meeting banking or payments in general. Like we said, you don't necessarily have to be a bank to do payment. Well, you know, it? we're talking about transfer of value in exchange for payments. And reality is that every company out there, every merchant out there is transferring value. And they're eligible right. to process it the way like Starbucks does with their cards. Yes. It, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that probably... I think even as, as little as three years ago, people had no belief that Bitcoin had any value. Fair chunk of folks who are just well, like... still people who think... <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, I can just tell you that there are people who believe exactly the opposite. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but when it all boils down to is, are we just counting beans? We, we need a system for how to move those little beans around. Most importantly, from the IoT standpoint, people want to definitely know that they have received their beans. Now, you mentioned MUFG, Mitsubishi Bank. Let's talk about that. What, what technology projects are you doing with them? So a very interesting project we did and uh, we're actually still working on is something that we demonstrated at the CTEC show over in Tokyo mm -hmm. uh, late last year. This is a payment demo to demonstrate how you could do everything that we just talked about. So the user experience would be, let's say that you're going into a coin laundry, as they call it in Japan, or laundrette, as we say over here. You want to purchase a wash. But you have no cash, you don't want to use the credit card. On top of that, things like maybe the price today is $1 or 100 yen, but tom tomorrow it could be 150 yen. I, mean, I can see like late at night could be lower price than high traffic time. Right. What they wanted to do was demonstrate a way to do that using basically your phone. But on top of that, could we make this payment processing bit, the device, as inexpensive as possible? and yet keep it secure? And the answer was yes. 
So what we did was we put a Bluetooth module that's enabled with the Faro software and also our hardware security module into this washing machine. And we didn't use a real washing machine. We actually used these I toy washing that, yes. machines. I think that the toy maker must have really wondered why, why they suddenly <laughs> sold like eight of these all to the same address. But anyway, yeah, so we bought these wonderful little toy washing machines and we put this payment system into them. And the user experience is really, really awesome. So you just have a mobile app that in this case, it was branded and provided by MUFG, by Mitsubishi Bank. All you had to do was scan the QR code on the device, on the washing machine. And then it would tell you how much it would cost to do a wash. And then you'd say, yes, I want to purchase this wash. And then the washing machine would kick off and do the wash. And then you'd receive a receipt at the end saying you paid for it. But one of the great things about this was that the washing machine itself was never actually continuously connected to the internet. All communication was done from the device to the internet via the mobile phone over Bluetooth. So this is something that Faro has that is enabled. There's no Bluetooth pairing required, but the device is able to communicate through the phone to the internet end-to-end. -end. It creates like a VPN that enables the device to talk and communicate securely. So it has its own tunnel to the internet through your phone yes, without having its own separate independent connection to the internet. Right. The, the actual operation is very simple. So essentially what happened was you scanned the QR code that identified the machine that you wanted to operate. That was then sent to the internet. The payment cloud actually then said, okay, you want to use that machine? It's going to cost you 150 yen. That was presented to the user on their phone. They go, yes. Then the payment was processed on the special blockchain payment. And then once that was approved, approved very, very quickly, by the way, then that signal was sent to the device to kick off the wash. And then the washing machine was able to report that the washing machine had actually started. That is the verification part. Then we have an absolute end-to-end -end understanding of the I, I saw the demo you're mentioning and the response was instant. It you you mean like the latency? The latency, yes, yes. that's right. Yes. yes. I mean, you press the button and it was instantly on. You can't have these things sit around. People have a, a, like a little timer inside their head, right? They, they do, yes. <laughs> and if it, if it starts ticking too long, then you start getting worried and frustrated. And No, it's very important to have that. So that was a, a one-time payment thing. But actually, Mitsubishi wanted to push it even further. So one thing that they wanted to do was try and see, and this was a demo, but it was, you know, try and see what it would be like if you could pay by the second. You could imagine you perhaps going into a, a shared work environment, or maybe it's an Airbnb that has a, like a really low cost rent, but you have to pay if you want to use additional things. So mm. you go like to- the basics are included, but then everything else is an extra charge. Let's say that to use the Xbox or the PlayStation, if you want to use that, then you have to pay extra. Or if you want to turn on the air conditioner. So that the flip would be side of it is that if you don't want to use it, you don't have to pay for it. So you right. get a better price if you don't want it. So the idea was, could we do that? So what we did was we put together two demos. One was around lighting and the other one was around air conditioning and, and we used a fan. The experience was you would go to the fan or you go to the light, you scan the QR code and it would tell you this would cost you, and I think the price was something ridiculous. It was like 0.001 yen, which is like microcent or something per second. Per second. And so you go, yes, I want to use this. You click the button. 
that would activate the lighting, the lighting would come on, and then it would start counting. We would have the pricing gradually notch up on the app so you could see how much you're spending. And it was, you know, it was very little. Right. It was definitely the sort of pricing that you would never charge on a credit card because it was too low. It was too low. It could be handled by these type of currencies that have very, very high resolution. High resolution and low overhead. So then after you had used your lighting for the day or the night, then you could turn it off. The light would turn off and you'd be presented with a receipt for 15 cents or whatever you right. spent. The same thing was happening with the air conditioning system. That was more expensive because it uses more energy. It's a more expensive product to run and amortize. And even that, you can change the price dynamically on a cold day or a hot day or presumably. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean that. It's <laughs> hot outside and now it costs a dollar a minute to run your air conditioner. <laughs> it's free when it's snowing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, yeah. So in theory, in theory, yes, you could do it. So this is pushing the business models, but it's air as a service and uh, lighting as a service. Those kind of things that you know some people really are interested in trying and seeing. You know, could this work? And I think that the takeaway here is more that the systems are there to enable this now. You can do it at scale and you can do it securely. Certainly, Mitsubishi Bank they really put us through the mill in terms of how secure is this and can we use it for payments? And the answer was yes. And so. We do have a really good system here that could be used and uh, enable these type of use cases. I think that's excellent. And it just feels like the way of the future. Definitely. I, I can imagine in the future, you could be in a restaurant, this idea of handing over cash or whatever. I, I think you'll have a lot of choices in terms of how you want to pay. Uh, it may be that you have a side gig where you earn all your currency, whatever mm -hmm. it is. You know, you program games for fun and, and you get all your payments on some strange little cryptocurrency that people donate to you. Well, it, maybe the shop will be happy to accept that. that you, know, right. you can pay using that. Yeah. It will lead to some interesting tax issues. But <laughs> I think those... the tax platform folks can also tap into the APIs. So what I like about this is that you simultaneously provide better services while reducing costs for right. the provider as right. well as for the customer. So it really is a win all around, which is not common. Not always you get those. And, and that's really why it is this killer app. I think that you have a combination of three things. You have payments, which is people are very, very motivated to get paid for stuff. You have the situation where you need to do that securely. And then when it comes to things, you need to be able to properly control those things and know that those things have been controlled as a result. So I was taking notes, of course, while we were talking. We talked about ease of use. It needs to be easy. It needs to be, it needs to work. You talked about hardware security. We talked about very fast connection between all the different pieces, instant response at high scale, high resilience, the fact that the device doesn't actually need its own network plan on a constant basis. It can piggyback through your phone to do that. I think that's huge. And it also gives you the resilience so that if something is down, it can go through something else. You talked about data and meaningful data that we can use to then optimize other things. So that's sort of really a bonus on top of everything else. And then we talked about an integration of these different pieces, the device, the platform, the payment processing cloud, the actual execution of the transactions. Does that sum it up? Absolutely, yes. And this is something that uh, Faro has got a lot of experience in. We have these tools available. 
for customers and clients to use. We also have reference implementations of things like the backend payment system. We have actually deployed real products out in the field. And so this is just not a hypothetical demo level capability yes, that right. we've got. And on top of that, you know, we have the backing of Big Bank, Union Bank, and also Mitsubishi Bank in Japan. And so I think that if you are listening to this podcast and you are someone who is interested in payments, someone who's interested in controlling or getting payments out of things, then this is something that we could definitely help you with and we'd very much love to talk to you. Absolutely transformative. And in fact, really, even if you were not thinking that way, maybe starting to think that how can payments impact my connected device can really change the way you build a business case, even to decide whether or not you want to connect anything. So I think that's another aspect of it, qualifying attribute that makes it a killer app. Well, excellent, as always, and thank you, our listening audience, the thousands of you that are out there. Do reach out to us if you have a question. We're going to find a video clip of the demo that you mentioned and the project that we've been doing with MUFG and put that in the links below. Until next time, thank you.